I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful. I am powerful. I am strategic and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Page 63, we're on the chapter called Sanctification, huh? You guys excited? Yeah, praise God. And we've already seen the whole issue. Sanctification means to be set apart is what's going on there. And when we get saved, we are set apart for ourselves. We just go back to living our own lives, doing our own thing, because the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I, runs the show. Wrong answer. That's right. You're starting to wake up tonight no that's not it is we're set apart for god why because as uh, like father like son god has a plan he saved us okay and he saved us continue to read ephesians 2 8 9 and 10 he saved us for the good works that he's prepared for us to do but the problem is we can mess those works up can't we all right if we aren't setting ourselves apart for jesus christ every single moment of the day literally every day okay let alone every day uh it's going to mess those good works up Okay, God's got a great plan for each one of his children. That's, he saved us for a purpose. And are you guys glad that you still have a purpose here tonight? Because do you guys know when you uh, know that you don't have a purpose anymore here? Okay, here's the code word. You're dead. You're right. Okay, code word's dead. Okay, yeah, you get to go to be with God, praise God, in heaven. But you're still here sucking air is the code word. That means he's got a purpose for you. And in that purpose, we're going to see, is a process of maturity. Wouldn't it be neat if you became a Christian and you were 100 perfectly set apart for God for the rest of your time on earth? Wouldn't it be awesome? It'd be awesome. Unfortunately, that's not the way it is, okay? Because we still have a brain and a will and things of that nature, and we have to learn, and that's a process of maturity. We grow. That's why the Bible says when we start out as Christians, we are born as babies, spiritual babies. But praise God, over time, you get out of there and you move into those teenage years, Okay, if you will, and then you get into an adult, hopefully, and uh, then uh, things begin, that's the natural process. What we've been seeing, if you don't understand sanctification, what God has called you for as a Christian, you could be saved for 40 years, but you're still in spiritual diapers. You're a baby Christian. Okay, I don't care. Time does not determine, we saw before, maturity, your character, and how much it reflects Jesus Christ does. Okay, that's the point, okay? And that's what we saw. Well, what, what is sanctification? Well, we saw that there was a couple different ones that we talked about. Now, there's the first one, of course, is what's called the positional, oh, is that better starting to go out? Uh, positional 
uh, and that's the one that's already complete, already done, okay, as we saw before. The one that we're going to talk about uh, again tonight is the practical, if you will, and that's the process of maturity uh, that we're going to experience uh, as we grow in maturity, uh, being learning day by day to set ourselves apart for God. And then we're going to see, Lord willing, hopefully get that far, the future sanctification is going there. That's when it's complete, it's done, that's who we are, that's all we'll ever experience, no more struggle, that's what we're dealing with. Now, if you were here last time, we left off on the part, on the, uh, page 65, we got into the second part here. We dealt with the positional, now we're into the practical, and we said, well, there's a problem, okay? Did you realize that somebody's out there who does not want you to grow up as a Christian? It rhymes with Satan, Lucifer, devil, yes, pick one of your evil terms. Uh, that's exactly who he is. It's real, folks. It really uh, is. And he's out there trying to do everything. And that's what we saw is the importance of you need to learn to walk and live by the Spirit. Now, we left off. Now, there's some, God hasn't left us hanging high and dry in this process of maturity from going from babies to uh, adult Christians, mature, set apart, sanctified Christians. Okay, he's given us some tools to help us along that. And we left off last time. The first one, okay, was the Word of God. Okay, why is it important to study the Bible? To know what his will is, okay? Why is it, if you're going to set yourself apart for Jesus Christ, if you're going to hopefully grow into the image of Jesus Christ and his character, give it up for Pastor Jim. He's an anointified, sanctified, justified, deified, something Christian guy. What a guy, I tell you what. You got to throw in all those five things there and you, you sound evangelical. Okay, but anyway, so, anyway, so, uh, you charge me up, man. Uh, but anyway, so, uh, but as a Christian, uh, that's what we need to do is to study the word of God because that tells us God's character. You don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder. If you want to be conformed to the image of Christ, wouldn't it help if you knew what his character was like, i.e. his image? Well, that's what the Bible does. Okay? And the Bible also points out the parts of us that are not set apart for God, i.e. we're still going in sin. So you skip that whole thing if you never get in the word of God. And is it any wonder, I guarantee you, there's two things I'm firmly, well, witnessing is another one, that the Satan does not want you to do. Every single day when you get up, can I tell you what some of your biggest spiritual battles is? Don't ever get into the Bible procrastinate, make every excuse you can. And certainly don't pray to God. And certainly keep your mouth shut. Don't tell anybody about Jesus. Go a whole day without telling somebody about Jesus. Woo, Satan's excited. Yeah, wasted another day. Okay, that's your biggest battle. But that's what we need if we're gonna take this serious. Because again, we saw, you can have great intentions. That doesn't mean it's gonna translate into reality. You set apart means, so we're gonna see this tonight, maybe if I can get past the intro. <laughs> Set apart means you're going to have to use your brain, your will, and say, yes, I am, yes, today I am setting this life, my time, my hands, my eyes, my feet, my mouth for Jesus. You have to make a deliberate choice, okay? It's not just a one-time act. It's a continual daily act, as we're going to see, okay, the Word of God. The second one, towards the bottom of 65, is what he's given us, is the indwelling, interceding who? Christ, okay? Now, this is really cool the writer of hebrews states the following hence also he jesus of course is able to save what how long's forever so when you get saved how long are you saved what was the what okay see that's a positional truth okay he saved for, you're not done Woo! praise god okay he saves us forever those who draw near to god through him since why since he always lives and he makes intercession for them. If Jesus is, and he is, is always making intercession for us, who's going to overcome that? Right? If he's always there in front of the Father, no, no, forgave that, forgave that, forgave that, forgave that. For, what's, what's ever going to cling to us? 
Nothing. And that's what we're going to get to the second in Paul's amazing statement. Jesus Christ is our faithful high priest who on the basis of his shed blood that satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God continually intercedes for his own. This guarantee of abiding endurance based as it is upon the absolute, underline that, no question about it, absolute efficacy of the interceding Christ is final and complete. Now, that's why I believe Paul made this amazing statement. Romans chapter 8, turn there if you would. Romans chapter 8. Dun, dun, dun. You find Romans chapter 8, what do you do? <laughs> you guys are cool. Romans chapter 8. Woo, we are more than conquerors. Isn't that awesome? This is awesome. Okay, verse 28. And we know, no doubt about it, that in all things, how many things? Just the things you like? All things. How about the bad things? How about the challenging times? How about the difficult times? How about the times when you have no stinking idea what in the world God's up to? Still don't need to worry. Don't worry. Don't be anxious about your life for nothing. God says, I know exactly what I'm doing. In fact, I'm going to tell you what I'm doing. It's still good. You may not see it now, but it's coming down the road. It's still good. Work all things uh, uh, for the good for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of a son that you're set apart for him, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Okay, so if that's the basis, that's the positional truth, here's the thing. Paul says, what then shall we say in response to this? Gosh, it's so boring to be a Christian. Why do I have to serve Jesus? Man, you guys, I could have so much. Are you kidding me? After all he's done, Great is our Lord. What? He said, if God is for us, man, who could be against us? Right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who then will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died. More than that, he was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also what? He's interceding for us. So then who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or dangerous sword skip down 37? No. And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Yeah, we've got to skip over that part. Uh, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Does that include you? Yes, even us, folks, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? Positional truth, that will start to affect your practical truth, okay? Why do you keep moving forward? Why do you not give up as a Christian? Hey, I cannot be separated from the love of God. I am secure. He saves me forever. I am headed for heaven, and I love him, and I'm so stinking grateful for what he has done for me. Hey, set myself apart for you, Jesus. Whoa, what do you want me to do? Every single day, what do you want me to do, right? When you understand a positional, it will start to affect uh, your practical. This guarantee is based on, he says, on the interceding Christ, final and complete. But as has seen, the intercession of Christ is a preventative against failure as well as a security for the children. It is through the power of Christ that we are able to live a life pleasing to God. And this is what I think the enemy works at. I truly believe that his greatest tactic as a Christian, number one, his first goal was to try to get you to not be saved. <clears throat> okay, apparently here tonight, praise God, he didn't do that, right? Okay, all two of you who are saved. So, all right, and uh, so, so he leaves you alone. No, he goes to plan B, and plan B is to mess you up. Plan B is to keep you from growing to maturity, and he does it in m many different ways, okay? Uh, sometimes what he'll get you to do is to get you to stop. It could be sin, 
Or it could be uh, you get frustrated at the Christian life and you just quit. You know any Christians ever checked out? I call them Lone Ranger Christians, right? Well, guess what? You're not around the church. The purpose of being saved, God gives you gifts to serve what? Yourself? To the church. Now the church is suffering because you're not involved. And you know what? You're suffering too, whether you think it or not, okay, Mr. Lone Ranger, because you need the church. As messed up as it is, you need the church because there's people in the church who have gifts that you need to be uh, benefited by, but you're not around. And so you got tricked. And what he will do is he'll try to get you to not understand this positional truth, to think that you're still a slave to sin, to think that it's hopeless, to think that it's worthless, or even the church, you get mad at the church and point fingers, blah, 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 and the whole time he gets you to quit. I've shared this analogy before, but let me share it again. And uh, this is really what I think he's up to. Okay, he says, the Christian life is like standing at one end of a long, narrow street lined on both sides with two-story houses. And at the other end of the street stands Jesus Christ. He's just right there. And as we walk towards him, we grow in maturity. And there's absolutely nothing in the street, nothing, not one obstacle, which can keep me from reaching Jesus. But since this world is influenced by Satan, the row of houses on either side are inhabited by beings committed to keeping us from growing strong. So they hang out to the windows, and here's what they do. They just call at us, just voices. Hey, look over here. I've got something you really want. Hey, try this. There's nothing wrong with it. Or maybe, maybe, hey, you're a worthless idiot. Boy, you failed God big this time. He can't use you now. And even though these voices have no real power to block our path, the strategy works all too well. He says, you see, many Christians treat life's journey like a stroll through a shopping mall instead of a race through a battlefield. And instead of staying focused on Christ, they give into window shopping at the enemy's stores. And the longer they linger, the easier it is for Satan to keep them from running to Christ. The whole tactic, listen, is to simply get your eyes off of Jesus, slow down, sit down, stop, and if possible, give up on your journey to Jesus Christ. You're saved forevermore as a born-again Christian. Praise God, you're getting to heaven. But he could trick you in sitting there. I know Christians to this day. I don't doubt that they're born again. But from some sin or just something that they're upset about or something or whatever, maybe it's even bitterness. That's a whole topic. They're going through the motion. Oh, they're going to church services. But what I've seen, I'm not the Holy Spirit. But what I've seen, you have not grown one iota from that day because you are harboring a root of bitterness or because you're mad at such and such. You see what I'm saying? Stops you dead in your trap. Oh, enemy gotcha. Yes, praise, praise God, salvation is complete. And we're getting to heaven. But don't you see the tactic? It's all a trickery. It's all designed to get you to sit there on the battlefield of life and never progress one iota. You got the right clothes on. You got all the equipment. You're armed to the teeth. But you're not fighting because he tricked you into sitting down. Isn't he cunning? It's almost like the Bible should call the devil cunning or something. Oh, he does, Ruth. Thanks for asking that. That's right. Let's continue on. Uh, someday he's going to present us to the Father. Listen to this. Yeah. Uh, it's sufficient, complete, okay uh but at the top it says someday he will present us spotless before the father you realize that we've talked about this scene before lord willing get a little bit to it on uh, sunday uh in my sermon uh for resurrection day and uh, do you realize what that means you know i don't want to spoil it again i've shared with you the analogy that you know when we get to heaven and he's not going to pull down some giant screen okay and he's not going to replay all the sins that we've ever did in our whole life and he's going to have our mom sitting there Anybody glad? Jesus, if, if there is a tape recording all this stuff, 
The Bible says God remembers our sins no more. That means Jesus erased our tape. There is no tape. The Bible says rather when we get presented before God, it's spotless, blameless, without blemish, perfect, holy, righteous, because we're adorned with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? Okay, let's continue on. The next thing that he gives us, okay, is the indwelling spirit, okay, is going to help us. And again, what's the context here? The context is this practical sanctification. This is that maturity process, okay? This one's already complete. This one comes in the future when we live it now forever and ever and ever. But this is the one really that we have to deal with day to day as we learn every second of every day to set ourselves apart, sanctify for Jesus Christ, the indwelling spirit. As we discussed in Developing Habits of Godly Living, uh, the key to victory over our whole nature is to living a life of holiness is yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember that was a great Christianese phrase. And we've dealt with that extensively. That's why I wanted to quickly put this little uh, graphic up here. You guys, huh? Artwork? Huh? Should I go out there on Vegas on the strip and you do the characters or people? I could call it abstract. See, that's my excuse for everything I draw. I'm into abstract art. <laughs> Yeah, whatever. Somebody probably buy it. But anyway, that's right. This is Vegas. All right, so anyway, so that's the yielding. What do you mean yielding to the Spirit? I yield. You know, this sounds so spiritual. What is it? Well, thanks for asking, Ruth. Really what that is is every day you have a choice to make. Now that we're born again, we're spiritually alive, you have the Holy Spirit of God who is sending you input. But the problem is we have a quandary going on, Galatians 5, the battle between the Spirit and the flesh. We have our old sin nature that we still have to deal with. Praise God, when we get to heaven, he's gone. She's gone forever, 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 okay? And, uh, but now we're in this battle. So how do you yield? When he says, step here, you step there. As we saw before, it's a military term, okay? It's in cadence, okay? And, and the, the point is every day when you get up, when you sanctify, I'm gonna be sanctified for Jesus. That's a great Christianese phrase. Well, let's break it down. It means every second of the day, I'm gonna do whatever I can to feed my spirit man, okay, so to speak. I'm gonna be engaged in things that's gonna feed the white dog because we saw the battle is won when you feed the right dog. And if you're down here feeding the black dog, you're feeding your sin nature, if you're indulging in the evilness of this world, if you're listening to the demonic lies, you're feeding the black dog and he's gonna beat you up. You're still saved, but you're not gonna experience that victory that Christ has already given to you. It's the indwelling spirit. And so that's where we have to learn to live in this realm. We need to feed the spirit. How? With Bible, with prayer, with witnessing. And I'll use this, not just fellowship, godly fellowship, okay? And these are the things that's gonna feed the spirit, okay? That's, and and you, you, the more you live in this, the more you keep in step with that, the more that that becomes your way of life, then you begin to experience what Christ has given us. He didn't just save us from hell, the penalty of sin. He saved us from the power of sin. He gave us the Holy Spirit so we can walk in life and godliness. He's even given us that ability. And that's what he says here. The Holy Spirit's been given to us so that we can not only desire to do what will please God, but we have underlined this uh, passage, or that word, the power to do so. See, that's another thing the enemy will get you to do. This is where I, I believe his goal is. It isn't just to get you to sin. It's after you sin to trick you into staying there. To thinking that you're a slave to that sin, that's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not what the Bible says. You're no longer a slave to sin. You have the power of the Holy Spirit. Name one sin he has to, he's going to commit. None. You just need to learn to yield to him. You need to live in the Spirit, and you're set free. If you walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Okay, but he doesn't want you to think that you're always going to be a slave to that sin. That he's going to get you to think that, so you'll sit there and stop in the process of maturity, okay, or he'll get you to think that somehow uh, you just don't have the ability. That's a lie. But the whole time that you're sitting there, or, or he'll get you to think that God doesn't love you anymore, or, or God can't use you anymore because you blew it, and you blew it big time. 
right? But God doesn't categorize sin like we do. I'm not trying to minimize it, okay? Well, that Christian got involved in the sin of blah, blah, blah. Really? Would you do blah, blah, blah? Really? And it, the point is you need to just do what God says. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Stand up, keep moving forward, right? His biggest tactic is not just to get you to sin, it's to get you to, now that you sin, either think that you are powerless, which is a lie, or that God doesn't love you and he can't use you anymore, which is a secondary lie. But the whole time that you believe that lie, you're right there sitting there the whole time. Listen to this. Can you imagine some guy, like, of course, some creature of the 80s, so I got to use this guy, Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? Remember him? Armed to the T. Can you imagine him? Now, I know you guys are just, I'm not too far off. Thank you, Pastor Jim. (laughs) Maybe if I put that battery on me, it'll help. But anyway, (laughs) anyway. Or maybe I get stung by a bee. I could swell up or something, at least for this analogy. So, but anyway, so can you imagine? Here he is in this battle. He's armed to the teeth, and he's got all his gear on, his machine guns and grenades and all this stuff. And then he's sitting there and sitting there, and he doesn't move. Everybody's just running past him. What in the world are you doing? Hey, Christian, don't you understand we have the armor of God? That the fiery darts of the evil one cannot penetrate unless we let him? We're armed to the teeth, man. We're warriors for Jesus Christ. We're more than conquerors. But he tricks us with his lies to sit down, even though we are armed to the gills with everything that we need. Let's continue on. He talks about, uh, uh, but if you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to carry out uh, the desire of the flesh. Uh, the goal is sanctification. Here's your first word. Praise God. We're cruising now. Conformity. Conformity. The goal of sanctification is conformity to the image of Christ. And it is the Spirit who changes us into the same image from glory to glory. Through the power of the Spirit, we mortify, put to death, if you will, the deeds of the body. What's he talking about? This input. Don't listen to it. Because if you really want the fullness of victory that we have in Christ, it's not just feeding this guy. You've got to starve that critter. And I think many Christians, they don't even feed this guy. And so they're getting hammered to death here. Or they'll at least start to feed this guy, but they won't shut this guy off. Feed that guy, start that guy, whoo, it's like jet fuel in your walk with Jesus Christ. It happens just like that, okay, is what he's talking about there. The love of God, okay, is shed abroad in our hearts by the Spirit. And, of course, the best description of Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness is found in the list of the fruit of the Spirit who indwells the believer to work in the life effectually and continuously that each might be filled with the fullness of God and walk worthy of the calling which we are called. Pastor, you're like, why, why, why do I have to read the Bible and I've got to get a witness and embarrass myself and fellowship and hang out with you guys? I already came Sunday. What do you want to come back for? Come on, don't you? Are you kidding me? Don't you understand the more that we do? Look, go, Galatians 5, go there real quick. It's, it's so ironic. The enemy's got us so duped. In our priorities, we all say, oh, God, help me. I just, I need more peace. Things are out of control. Oh, God, I need self-control. I'm just all, oh, God, if I only had some more joy, it's so depressing in this world. Oh, God. And we're going in the wrong direction for it. Complete wrong direction. Galatians, let's go there real quick. Let's take a look. What's the benefit of doing this? What's the benefit of starving this critter and feeding this guy? Hey, how many guys would like more of this? It's called the fruit of the spirit. Is what? Where does it come from? Not anything in this stupid world. It comes from God. Oh, how many times have you heard this? Oh, man, today's just kind of a, you know, a bummer of a day. I, I, I sure wish I had some more joy. Where does it come from? It comes from God. It comes from this. Here's the map. 
Don't you want it? Go get it. It's right there for the taking. But see how the enemy gets us? He warps us. And then we wonder why we don't experience God's kind of amazing love, supernatural love, supernatural joy. But that's not all. He also gives us, when we live in that sphere, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's it. Why in the world would we kick at the solution? Sounds to me like somebody's got the whole thing twisted around. We're listening not to God. We're listening to the evil one. Well, what is my part in this process? Well, Samantha, great question. It works well with my notes. Let's continue on. We talked about the fact of that oft. Now, that's a word you don't hear very often. Oft. Doesn't that sound cool? Doesn't it almost sound like British? Oft. Oft. Okay, anyway, that's right. I got too much to cover. Let's get going. Just let go and let God. Huh? Let's continue that phrase. Just let go and let go on. Right? Just let go and let go on. Whatever I said, but it sounds cool. Let go and let God. Okay, is what it is. How many of you guys heard that? We talked about that before, I believe, in our notes. It's theological and sound. If we were to simply just let go and let God, then all the commands to us in the scripture would be illogical. Okay, Dr. Ryrie, here, here's what he states. He says, the scripture does say very plainly, I am to do certain things that are a vital process of sanctification. Otherwise, how are we to understand a verse like this? Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting and maturing holiness in the fear of God. And of course, scores of other references command us to do things which are part of the total process of sanctification. Here we go. The individuals command us to do things like flee from idolatry. What's flee? Run. So if you're, uh, oh no, here comes this giant temptation, my way. I will stand there and let go, let go. No, yeah, God is the one who gives the ability, but it's in tandem is what we're going to see. You have to make the choice to kick the legs in the gear and, right? You work in progress, okay? So it's not just that, what is it, Samantha? Let go, let go. There you go, you'll get it before we end. That's starting to sound Australian. Okay, but anyway, let's continue on. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, he says this, he says, not only that, flee, okay, that's an action. You also flee, also useful lust, but follow righteousness. You meditate, and again, I don't like that word, chew on, think upon, consider, okay, these things, refuse, that's a choice, that's a decision, refuse profane and old uh, wise fables, gossip, bunch of baloney stories, bear ye, put up with one another's burdens, Okay, of course, the person wants to de-emphasize the human agency in sanctification. Uh, Those that say that will say that such verses mean that we are let the Holy Spirit or the indwelling Christ do these things through us. But even in the verses where the Spirit is mentioned as being involved uh, in carrying out the exhortation, the individual, your next blank there, the individual is also included as a necessary part of the process. You still have a brain. You still have a mind, a will, and emotions, okay? You can't just, wouldn't this be cool though? Stare at the Bible. And what do you say, Samantha? Let go, let go. All right? That's what you do. Hey, it's time to prayer. I'm just going to sit here and stare at the wall. And of course, the only thing coming out of my mouth is, man, you guys are really rough to get into this, aren't you? Let go, let go. Okay, I got two more, so I'm going to, can you work with me? Okay, and then I, there's that person over there who doesn't know Jesus. I need to witness to them. And so I'm just going to stare at them and silently say, under my breath, Byron, Praise God, you got one out of four. And then fellowshipping. Oh, hey, it's time to go to Wednesday night Bible study. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stare at that door. And let go, let go. And then, hey, I'm tr- I, 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 supernaturally, I was translated in the spirit there. No, it doesn't work that way. Okay, God could do that, but typically that's not how it goes. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay, it's working in tandem. 
is what he's talking about. The individual person and the spirit in the very basic matter to putting the deeds to death, the deeds of the body. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, top of page 67, you shall live. The subject of the verb mortify or put to death is ye, not the spirit. That's you. That's the individual. Okay. Nevertheless, what I do, I do through the spirit. God's working is not suspended because I work. And neither is God's working always apart from my working, okay? And that's what we're going to see you get out of balance, okay? You either put too much on, on you, it's all about you. And if you try to live on the Christian life on your own without the means of the Holy Spirit, hey, fat chance. You're going to, you, there'll be some things that you have, we all have strengths and we all have weaknesses, myself included. But it'll come out. But if you learn to work in tandem, yielding to the Spirit, working as he says, step, you step and move forward and you feed the white dog, okay, you're going to experience uh, much more of the victory god's working is not suspended from my part and vice versa again the human and divine are joined in the matter of walking in the spirit right we saw before that's a military term i believe and as he takes a step forward in cadence what do you do let go let go no you got to move that foot and you got to move yours up he takes the next step what do you do take another step and, and so forth so you're working together uh, in tandem okay the life that does not fulfill the lust of the flesh is the life that walks by means of the Spirit, yet it is I who am commanded to walk by means of the Spirit. Even Galatians 2.20, Paul's great statement, it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Okay, uh, and that's the life that I live. In other words, it's quite, quite clear. Spit that one out, Sparky. Quite clear from the Scripture. That's what I get for Lego, Lego. So, okay, but anyway, it's, it's quite clear from the Scriptures that there is a correlation. Now, that's a... 14 cent word correlation okay uh, and conjunction of both the human and divine agencies and sanctification okay to exclude or de-emphasize one or the other is to miss an important aspect of the truth and to have an unbalanced underline that word and defective underline that word too spirituality okay you have to understand that it's not one or the other it's a both and situation let me give you an analogy how many guys love riding on trains how many of you guys ever even rode on a train? All right. Okay, that's cool. Uh, uh, trains, they're made of uh, uh, tracks, right? How many tracks are on a train? I mean, you guys are sharp, man. This is awesome. Okay, but what if you only had one track? Yeah, monorail. Hey, 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 you're messing up my analogy. Don't go there. Okay, so. <laughs> so, on these traditional non-monorail trains, where you don't let go, let go on, okay, is you have to have two, right? Otherwise, you're going to derail, okay? All right? Anyway, so, but that's what it is. You got God in the process, and you got you. You need both tracks at the same time. If you only have one, you're going to derail. If you take away God, you're in a heap of trouble. You're going in the ditch. If you take away uh, your part in, in the thing, you're going in the ditch too. But if you keep both tracks in the same thing, you can actually make it on your journey. Okay, good visual. Other means of sanctification, the familiar verse, Romans 8, 28, is the context, uh, verse about the certainty, we read that, the certainty of the end result of the sanctification process. Paul states, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, this guy states, the things themselves may not be good, okay, right? Uh, somebody does something horrible to you, that's not good, you know, morally. Okay, but here's the good news. But God harmonizes them together for believers. Ultimate good. Did you know God is so powerful? He doesn't condone sin, and he's certainly not the author of sin. But he's so powerful that he'll use somebody else's sin to be a blessing to you. Yeah, that's right, man. Preach it. Okay, he really will. 
okay? And that's what he continues to say. All things work together for good because his goal is to bring them to perfection in his presence. Now, see, I thought about this when I was going through this again today. I thought, isn't that our problem? We all know Romans 8, 28, but we certainly don't seem to apply it very often and enjoy the peace just from this one verse. Because what happens is we look at our challenges and if we don't see some sort of immediate benefit from them, then we act like it's not good, which is calling God a liar and or a failure, like he doesn't know what he's doing, okay? Number two, God oftentimes will allow these things, not just to say like, well, he's creating a powerful testimony. What he's gonna do is he allowed this uh, financial challenge because later down the road, he's going to uh, seriously bless us and then we'll be able to give it. Sometimes he does stuff like that. Sometimes God will use you to become a testimony. Isn't that the thing? We all love testimony. Oh, this guy and, uh, you know, all of his whatever, his house blew up and the car caught on fire and he somehow survived and the next thing you know, blah, blah. And we're going, wow, what a testimony. Whoa. Okay. We love hearing testimonies, but we just don't want to become one, do we? How many guys learned you all got to take your turn though? Okay, so God does that sometimes. But oftentimes what you find, did you realize that God will use our challenges a lot on purposes to sanctify us? He, he does it for our spiritual benefit. You know what I'm saying? It's just not some, and see, that's what I think we buck at. We don't realize that the reason why that hardship came is because God's trying to shape you and conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. He, he, we, we don't realize that the reason why that person that really gets stick, stuck under their, your craw, God put them there deliberately to teach you to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because isn't that what Jesus did? Do you see what I'm saying? And see, we, we don't look at that that way. We don't look at our challenges as, thank you, God. This may not just be some practical benefit. I mean, I know it's good, but I know this thing might actually work out good to help me be conformed more like Jesus, right? Let's continue on. He talks about that. His goal, uh, it may not be good but he, uh, in itself, but he harmonized it together for believers, ultimate good, because his goal is to bring them to perfection in his presence. Uh, even adversities and afflictions contribute to the end. The active voice here is the uh, present tense, the verb sinner, uh, uh, Jai. God causes, emphasizes that this is a continuing activity of God. Did you realize that? Every single man makes his plan, but God orders our steps, the Bible says. And everything we go through in life is right on time uh, from the hand of God. We want to label it good, bad, or ugly. He says, uh-uh, this is all for your good. Okay, I have to keep sending this lesson around because you keep missing it, okay, but it's still good. And I'm hoping you're going to get it because then you can sit around and enjoy it. Then he's going to send the next lesson. We saw before, it's a process. He, he, you know, he doesn't want you to stay in first grade. But when you graduate finally spiritually from first grade, guess what? Yes, we're out of school. No, you go to second grade. And then when you finally make it through second grade, where do you go then? Man, you guys can count too. This is, praise God. Okay, yes, third grade. And then on and on it goes. But guess what? You never stop. And you just move from one grade to the next, okay? It's all working together for that. God uses everyday situations in life to sanctify us. The all things of Romans 8, 28 means that God knows exactly what we need, including relationships, uh, situations, act, Ruth, uh, to bring us into conformity with Christ, prayer, fellowship, and worship, chastisement, that's a spanky-wanky, tragedy, ooh, listen, a double act, act. Pay attention to that. Uh, all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose now here it is we finally made it ultimate sanctification or that which is our destiny is when our position before god as holy 
based on our imputed righteousness of Christ. That's the positional, okay? And when it becomes our experiential walk and the same, where the two meet, okay? Because we saw before in the exciting, another visual analogy of, man, even my pen's starting to go, uh, is eternity, the realm of God. We had the beginning of time, the end of time, okay? You got Jesus Christ across the centerpiece, uh, Old Testament, New Testament. They look forward to the Messiah. We look back to the Messiah. But anyway, so somewhere on the realm of time you were born, somewhere also on the realm of time you became a Christian, and somewhere also on the realm of time you're going to die. Okay? And then you go to be with God. At the moment that you got saved, His Holy Spirit came to be the deposit, the guarantee, to make sure you get there. He saves us forever. Yay! But when we die, we go into be into eternity with God the Father forever and ever and ever and ever and ever without any of that sin and, or that baloney. And that's when all of a sudden that which we were striving for as far as the practical, it's already done. But the challenge of living up to be like Jesus and being conformed to his image, growing from a baby to an adult, can we describe that more? Jesus, you were 2%. Jesus, 10%, Jesus, 80%. So you'll never get 100 this side of heaven. But that's maturity. You see what I'm saying? I'm telling you, time means nothing. If you want to know a Christian's maturity, watch how they live, watch how they speak, watch how they act and treat other people. That's the maturity. How, how much are you like Jesus? That's the whole point. Okay, but there's gonna come a day when no more striving, bang, that's who we are. No more sin, no more striving. We experience it. Everything we do reflects the holy character of Jesus Christ and the people we hang out with, that's all they ever do. Isn't that awesome? That's what he's talking about there. He says, we will be holy in position and action. This is the final transformation. It's like a science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Jim? Praise God, thumbs up. Okay, of uh, the believer... Uh, into the likeness of Christ. At that time, all believers will be presented to the Lord without blemish. This will be possible because at that time, our sin nature, here's a great word, will be eradicated. Shared that before. Hey, if you don't realize what a blessing just that one thing is, why heaven is heaven, just getting rid of the sin nature, man, think of everything that's ever gone wrong, every bad day, every bad thought, every bad experience, it's ever, forever, ever gone, ever. That's what it means to get rid of that thing. No more conflict. Nothing. And I shared before, uh, Johnny Erickson taught a quadriplegic, if you're familiar with her. She was asked, what are you look, what's the number one thing you're looking forward to when you get to heaven? You're thinking, oh, I want to use my legs again. I want to, uh, you know, run. And, and you haven't done that for, how many, what's she been there, 40 years now in, in, in a wheelchair? Yeah, about 50 now. And she said, you know, the number one thing I'm looking forward to is getting rid of the sin nature. I think she knows wow what a blessing it's going to be eradicated that thing's gone forever and ever and the struggle against the flesh that paul describes and discusses in galatians 5 will cease but until then perfection this 100 percent does not happen until we get up here okay but that doesn't well i'll never be perfect on my no you continue as we're going to see because you're grateful okay it's a natural response Okay, because that's what he says. He says, I want you to be conformed to my son. Yes, sir, Captain, sir, how high, sir, should be our attitude. Anything else? Not like, okay, that's not a grateful attitude. But until then, perfection is not attainable. It is exciting to know that in the struggle, the end result of ultimate or future sanctification is secure for all believers, for it is in the hands of a sovereign, holy God 
For he who began a good work in you will uh, perfect it, complete it, until the day of Christ Jesus. The fact that the end result is already settled, positional, in God's mind is seen in that Romans 8.28. For those he foreknew in a relationship, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's going to happen one day, 100% in heaven, okay, ultimately. And uh, thus he, uh, those he called, he justified, he glorified them in his eternal plan as it is being played out in time. So such grace was so overwhelming to Paul that that's when he launched into what we read, that Romans 8 passage, the proclamation of a logical conclusion from such knowledge. It's mind-blowing, okay? Who can separate from the love of God? Okay, now, the final one, how should the doctrine of sanctification affect my life? What's that? I was just waiting for somebody to say, let go, let go, but you didn't do it. Okay, but anyway, now, let us be reminded of our Lord's exhortation through Peter. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts, which uh, were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, Jesus, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, not some of it, because as it is written, you almost seem, when you see those in all caps, is it just me, or does it make you kind of like really get your attention? And maybe you kind of want to maybe turn up the volume just a hair, be ye holy, for I am holy. Right? I'd say that's a pretty serious command from God. What do you guys think? Okay, that's right. Let me try that again. It worked pretty well for you. Okay, uh, we strive to live a life of wholeness so that we might reflect the character, your blank there, the character of God who called us into a relationship. A holy life for a Christian is a natural expression of, underline this, gratitude. That's why you're doing it for the unfathomable grace which has been poured out on each of us by our Lord. As Peter well writes, the person that is not growing in his holy character is showing, in other words, can I tell you, can you tell you this? They could give a rip about increasing this percentage factor. Uh, just, oh, come on, what? He says, that kind of person, you're being blind is your first blank there. That's right. That's yeah, right. And short-sighted. Okay, is the next blank there. Next two, short-sighted. Having forgotten his purification from his for, uh, former sins. We should be constantly, be, uh, uh, by the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body. Those who choose to do this will experience the fruit. That's what we saw. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the abundant life. And if you really have to have your arm twisted and your teeth pulled and just to do even the basics of Christianity, which is for your own good. First of all, he said so, so shouldn't we do it? And if we're thankful for what he's done for us and what he's won for us and where we're headed for all eternity, even if it was something egregious, we should still do it. But look what he said. If you, if you, if you set yourself apart for this, if you learn to walk in the Spirit, you'll, yes, you'll, this is the goal, to be conformed to the image of my Son, Jesus Christ, but what's the benny for it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in abounds. When Jesus said he's come to give an abundant life, in the Greek there, it literally means super abundant, bubbling over, filled over the top. It's, it's just it's gushing out over. You can't even contain it. It's literally what that mean, a word means there. So he doesn't just want us to experience love, but that kind of love. He doesn't just want us to experience joy and peace, but that kind of just, I can't contain it. Don't we want that? That's what he says. If you're, 
have a, a gratitude. If you're thankful for what he's done, is it really that hard? Let me share with you, I don't know if I shared this with you guys before. It's one of my favorite analogies. We'll close with this. That I love to share at funerals. It's, a, it's an account from a pastor who, who died in a car accident and was revived. And he said this is what he saw. So I'm not saying thus saith the Lord or anything, but it's interesting conjecture. Okay. And, and, and here's what he saw. And, and just think of this, guys, because even if half of this was, you know, whatever, what it is, this is what he's won for us, what I'm about to read. This is where we are headed for. This is our future ultimate thing. We, we just got to put up some a little few things here on earth. But this is what he's head for. He says, when I died, I didn't flow through a long, dark tunnel. I had no sense of fading away or coming back. I, I never felt my body being transported into the light. I heard no voices calling me or anything. In the next moment of my awareness, I was standing in heaven. That fits 2 Corinthians 5.8. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He said, joy pulsated through me as I looked around. And at that moment, I became aware of a large crowd of people. They stood in front of a brilliant, ornate gate. As they surged towards me, I knew instantly that all of them had died during my lifetime. They rushed towards me, and every person was smiling and shouting and praising God, and although no one said so, intuitively, I knew that they were my celestial welcoming committee. It was as if they had all gathered just outside heaven's gate waiting for me. I still didn't know why, but the joyousness of the place wiped away any questions. Everything was blissful and perfect. I felt overwhelmed by the number of people who had come to welcome me to heaven. There were so many of them. I had never imagined anyone being as happy as they all were. Their faces radiated a serenity I had never seen on earth. All were full of life and expressed radiant joy. Notice how many times he's talking about just amazing joy. He said heaven was many things, but without a doubt, it was the greatest family reunion of all. The older you get as a Christian, aren't you starting to stack up a lot of friends there, loved ones in Christ? Can't wait to see them again. Anybody looking forward to seeing Jose with his legs running around, beating Tom on the skateboard? But no conflict because it's heaven. Everything I experienced, he said, was like a first-class buffet for the senses. I'd never felt such powerful embraces or feasted my eyes on such beauty. Heaven's light and texture defy earthly eyes around. I could hardly grasp the vivid, dazzling colors. Every hue and tone surpassed anything I'd ever seen. Never even in my happiest moments had I ever felt so fully alive. He said, I stood speechless in front of the crowd of loved ones still trying to take in everything and over and over again, I heard how they were overjoyed there to see me and how excited they were to have me among them. I gazed at all the faces again and I realized that they had all contributed to my becoming a Christian or had encouraged me in my growth as a believer. Each one had affected me positively and each had spiritually impacted me in some way, helping me to make me a better disciple. Just being with them was a holy moment and remains a treasured hope. Listen, as I read that, can you... This is what went through my brain. Can, 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 I, that's God's will for his church right now on earth. Because that's how we're going to exist forever in heaven. Can you imagine the testimony of his children when they gather together here on earth? And this is how we genuinely feel and treat each other. Wow. Just being with those people at sunrise was a holy moment. And it's a treasured hope. I can't wait to see him again. Hey, if we live like that, I bet you we couldn't, we couldn't keep, we couldn't hold the people that would flood in here. I got to have what you got. That's how we're going to exist in heaven. He said, I felt loved more than ever before in my life. 
And when they gazed at me, I knew what the Bible means by perfect love. It emanated from every person who surrounded me. Everything was perfect. I sensed that I knew everything. I had no questions to ask. My heart was filled with the deepest joy I've ever experienced. I never, ever felt more alive than I did then. He says it a second time. He says, I was home. I was where I belonged. I wanted to be there more than I had ever wanted to be anywhere on earth. Time had slipped away and I was simply present in heaven. I had no needs. I felt perfect. All worries, all anxieties, all concerns had simply vanished forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We deserve to die, myself included, and go straight into hell and burn forever. And yet Jesus won, and this is the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg of what he's won for us as a gift. And if he says, hey, you just got this little bit of time spent here, okay, on earth, could, could you set yourself apart for me? Could, could you be a positive commercial for me? Because I want more people than just you in heaven. And I need you to be a positive commercial. Can you do that for me? Man, we should say what? Don't say let go, let go. Yes, sir, Captain, sir. Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says, you shall not steal, okay? Uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. 
And Jesus says, if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says, uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599. 
or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com, or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.